But if I sit in a lecture and I can learn one or two take-home things, um, then that's a success. I don't need to have 20 things after a lecture. And I think if you go into it and try to pick out one or two key things in a lecture, um, that will um, that will help you. And the other thing is that I insist on uh, when I'm planning lecture on program committees is that there are uh, bona fide take-home messages. Um, we can talk about research trials and da 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 da, and and come to a conclusion. But a lot of times, there's not anything we can take home and and start using in the barn uh, the next day. So, take-home messages on any kind of uh, continuing education are are really important to me. Swine. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Swine Management to the Next Level, CloudFarms.com, Zinpro, Essential Trace Minerals, Exceptional Performance, Ivonic, We Are Sciencing the Global Food Challenge, AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Odiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's SwineNet podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. James Cobert. How are you doing today? Really good, Laura. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you on today. Um, maybe before we jump into the topic at hand, let's just have you do a brief introduction about yourself. Okay, I'd, I'd be happy to. Uh, my name is uh, James Cober. I'm a veterinarian. I live in West Michigan. Um, I went to veterinary, well, undergrad and veterinary school at Michigan State. Graduated in 1987. Um, Went to a, a mixed animal practice for two years in Southwest Michigan. Um, there was a lot of outside swine in that practice, but it was also an equine referral practice. So I, I did enough equine to know that that's wasn't my uh, desire. So I left that practice and went uh, down and was with the late Dr. Max Rodebaugh for five years in Frankfort, Indiana, uh, Central Indiana. Um, and then I came back to Michigan in the area I grew up in in 1993 and started my own practice, uh, just a solo uh, single person practice. I worked with a lot of people I knew uh, from the swine industry when I was growing up, so I knew a lot about them. Um, what that allowed me to do over the years is uh, having long-term relationships with these guys, uh, two and three, sometimes four generations I knew and worked with on the farm. So it was really satisfying uh, here in West Michigan to do that. I know Michigan is not a huge swine state, but there are counties where there's a lot of swine um, and we do a pretty good job here in the state. Um, I was in that practice um, for 27 years and then just sold it at the end of 2020. Um, so semi-retired, but I, I have a contract finishing barn, a 4,000 head contract finishing barn that I that is actually on the on the farm I grew up on. 
Um, I go up to that farm two or three times a week. Um, not because I have to, I have good employees there, but, um, I, I tell people I, when I was a teenager, I couldn't get away from the farm fast enough. And, and now I go back there for my mental therapy. So, um, that's what I spend most of my time with. I do do a little independent consulting work with Neogen, uh, specifically on water quality. Um, so between that gig and, and my contract finishing barn, I still stay fairly busy. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Zinpro. Since 1971, Zinpro has focused on improving the health and well-being of animals. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. Absolutely. Your your full-time employment has just shifted to something a little different, but that's uh, good to hear that you're still involved in, in the swine industry in various aspects for sure. Um, one of the things, James, that um, recently you had presented at ASV, and I thought this was an interesting topic, and so this was um, something I'd like to visit with you about today is really this concept of lifelong learning. And certainly as professionals in the industry, whether you're a DVM or a PhD, we believe in lifelong learning. We know that's part of our process, but lifelong learning goes beyond that. And so let's talk a little bit about your perception of lifelong learning and, and what we should be thinking about. Well, the the topic of the lecture or the lecture uh, title was the Alex Hogg uh, lecture. Alex Hogg was a, a veterinarian from Iowa. I uh, went to vet school at Kansas State following World War II and he was a was a great example of a lifelong learner. He he practiced for twenty years. Then he went back to Iowa State, got his master's degree um, at age fifty two. Um, then he was uh, uh, maybe most people know him for uh, being the extension swine veterinarian at University of Nebraska for twenty years, uh, from about seventy two to nineteen ninety two. And then he retired, uh, retired once from practice and then retired the second time from from uh, from extension. And then he went to work as a tech service veterinarian for MVP laboratories. Um, and that was his third career. And he finally retired from that around uh, 2005. Um, so uh, but his theme all the way through his all of his careers was teaching people uh, he was a great extension uh, specialist. He loved giving um, extension meetings. Uh, he loved teaching producers. He loved teaching and learning from other veterinarians. Um, and he, I got to know Alex. Uh, we were in a in a certificate series together at University of Illinois called um, Executive Veterinary Program. And that was in the 90s. So he graduated from that program in 1995 at age 75 uh, with yet another certificate uh, to hang on his wall. So he, even into his 70s, um, he was still adamant about learning all he could and learning more about the industry. Yeah, so I think that's that's absolutely right. I've heard that of, of Dr. Hogg as well, and he's certainly well known for that. What do you think is the key to that lifelong learning. I, th I think we all definitely want to do it. I'd say 
most of the time we would probably argue that we don't have enough time to maybe engage in, in learning or participating in a program or, or certification process. What, what do you say to that? Well, and that's that's true. I I got a master's degree when my uh, my kids were really young, so I could um, attend the classes. And um, a lot of it it wasn't online yet, but a lot of homework for that. And when my kids were little, I was able to read and and do my research in the morning before they got up. Um, if your kids are are um, elementary school, middle school, high school, it is very difficult to carve out time to, to worry about a certificate series or an advanced degree. So to me, it's, uh, you have to do it kind of before you have kids or, uh, or after your kids have, have left the nest, so to speak. Um, and there are oodles and oodles of opportunities for master's degree and, and especially online. Now, many degrees you can get, um, online, uh, it doesn't have to be veterinary degrees. Um, a lot of certificate series are available. And even, um, you know, when you're driving down the road, the Swine It podcasts are a great uh, way to learn uh, just um, uh, little tidbits. And, and my philosophy over the years when I go to meetings is, is I don't plan to learn a thousand things that I'm going to go home and put implement. But if I sit in a lecture and I can learn one or two take home things, um, then that's a success. I don't need to have 20 things after a lecture. And I think if you go into it and try to pick out one or two key things in a lecture, um, that will, um, that will help you. And the other thing is that I insist on, uh, when I'm planning lecture on program committees is that there are uh, bona fide take-home messages. Um, we can talk about research trials and da-da-da-da and, and come to a conclusion, but a lot of times there's not anything we can take home and, and start using in the barn uh, the next day. So take-home messages on any kind of uh, continuing education are, are really important to me. Mm -hmm. And I think you hit the nail on the head, too. You, you mentioned that we don't have to always be doing online degrees or certifications. It can be something as simple as a podcast or um, reading an article for the day, something maybe you could do over a cup of coffee in the morning or as you're wrapping up for the evening. Is that a fair thought? Yeah, and I, I would like to say that um, one of the smartest producers I worked with over the years um, he read the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times from cover to cover every day. He, he had that in his plans. He got up, he had his coffee, and he read that. And he was so smart and worldly. Um, he was a great farmer, too, but he knew a lot about other topics and how to get along in life and, and maybe politics. Uh, but just a smart, smart guy to, to sit down and talk to. Mm -hmm. One of the other things I heard you say at the first little section there was really about taking something back to the barns, having that take home message. And I think that's something that I hear too is, well, how do you define learning? Is learning you understanding a new piece of information that you didn't know before, or is learning taking that information and applying it in the barns or in practice? So how do you view the concept of learning? 
Well, even um, even really complex research trials and studies, ultimately they have a conclusion, and you might not be able to use that right away, but maybe two years down the road, uh, that'll come into play uh, with a new vaccine or a new treatment uh, protocol or something like that. So um, as you get older, it's it's harder to retain stuff, but uh, everything is so accessible um, now with, with smartphones and stuff that you don't have to uh, remember that on the tip of your tongue. But if you uh, take notes and put them in your phone or put them on your laptop, uh, at least you can refer back to them and have them available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a whole stack of notebooks from various years of meetings and so forth. And I think for me, the hardest thing is just keeping it organized. Um, I've seen people now today put it on their phones and have the ability to do keyword searches and so forth to keep it a little bit more organized. But I would say that's probably one of the challenges I have going to meetings is I write things on paper and then I lose the paper or I just don't have a very good filing system. Any suggestions on how to take those notes and put them into play? (laughs) Yeah. Um, just one funny story quick. When I, when I sold my practice, you know, I had this clo- literally closet full of meeting uh, notes, uh, uh, summaries of meetings, uh, even the, the JSHAP journal, all of those from day one I had. And, and I just took them to the recycle uh, center and it was kind of a, a bittersweet moment that I've had collected those things over 30 years of practice. But everything's online now, so you don't need a hard copy. Um, and specifically to your question, what I do uh, personally is I, I get a new notebook, a spiral notebook or, or a binder and for every year. So 2022, I have a binder that I keep notes from meetings in and I, and I get a new one, even if it's not full for the following year. So at least it's organized by year and I have those on my shelf. And if I can kind of get an idea, say, boy, it seems like a couple years ago I was at a meeting and wrote this down. At least I can go back to that uh, notebook and say, oh, yeah, here it is. And from 2020, um, this is what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. I like that one. Any other tips or tricks you would suggest to the listeners today on being a lifelong learner? Um, just there are so many things, both on a producer level and a veterinarian level that, um, some, some aren't going to be for you, but others, uh, you know, I enjoy, uh, listening to as I drive. Um, it's hard for me to sit at my desk and listen. Um, I, I just can't sit still, but, uh, when I drive, I, I have a, a catalog, a, a folder that I keep those in and, and when I'm driving more than 15 or 20 minutes, I'll pop one on and, and listen to it. And uh, so keeping them organized, easily accessible uh, on your smartphone, uh, put them in a file and and you'll get to them when you get to them. But um, don't waste your time listening to something you don't really enjoy or don't think you're going to really ever use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I liked your, t- your tip earlier too. It doesn't necessarily have to be related to your career or your profession. And so you mentioned the the farmer that always read the Wall Street um, I think that's that's actually really good um, from that perspective. So any tips or tricks on finding some good resources maybe outside of swine that, that you think would be of value to our audience? 
Well, I, I would suggest that you get, uh, for news, uh, for instance, listen to more than one source. Um, maybe listen to BBC so you get an idea of what's going on in Europe. Uh, they have a, uh, an ag uh, section. So figure, listen to what, what's going on in the UK, um, you know, animal welfare, uh, nutritional things, antibiotics, Usually what happens in the UK is going to happen here in five or 10 years. So it, it might prepare you. Um, so Reuters uh, News Service, a great independent news service, uh, BBC, um, there's others. But but I, I just really beg people to listen to more than one news source so they're able to get more than one uh, narrow perspective. Mm-hmm. One of the things I started doing recently, too, is just pulling up opinion pages or opinion sections and reading some of those. And I I know that seems kind of odd because it's not really true education. But for me, it kept a pulse on what's happening, what's people's mindset. And if you read one on antibiotics or you read one on, um, you know, agriculture in general, it at least helped me kind of get a pulse for what either information is going out to the rest of the public or kind of where those trends are headed. I know a lot of veterinarians that I um, deal with when they're on any kind of a trip or a foreign trip, if they go to a supermarket, they go right to the meat case and, and say, what, what's available here and what are, what are we looking at? And uh, to understand what other people, what other cultures are doing uh, really can and either focus or open your mind. Uh, oh yeah, I guess I guess there is a use for this. Um, so it's just valuable to to learn what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. One thing that I can imagine a few of our listeners might be thinking is, well, my gosh, I'm there's information overload all day long. I'm bombarded by information, and so you know, how do I make time? Why do I make time for this? And how do I prevent that that feeling of just having one more thing to read, one more thing to do. Do you have any suggestions for that? Um, just, I would say just be organized um, and know what you want to listen to or, or read um, and keep that organized, you know, kind of file it. But, you know, you, you literally can't read everything there is to read. So, you know, as you as you get older, as your kids age, um, your interests change on what you think you need to read. Uh, the political landscape uh, sometimes that's tiring to read about. Um, one of the things I do occasionally on uh, the podcast I listen to is just just find a comedy uh, thing or or something that's just way off the mark, a uh, fiction book or uh, a comedy series or something like that, just so you can get a chuckle and it, it changes your, your perspective and, and, uh, rest your mind. And, and then you're ready to get back to the scientific stuff, uh, when you need to later on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a really good tip. I like that one. Um, anything else you'd like to share? I know you mentioned, uh, Dr. Hogg and, and some of his passion for lifelong learning. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the group today? Well, there was a section in that lecture that I um, uh, entitled uh, what, what We Have to Learn Yet as an Industry. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly, one of the things I, I donated to the, to the AASV auction was a 1891 
Iowa Agricultural Yearbook. And I was reading in that, in the swine section, and it literally said, um, we've pretty much perfected the pig. All we need to do is maintain it now. Uh, we don't need to get any leaner or any faster growing. We just need to maintain what we have. And man, was that not accurate. Um, so the question, do, do we have a perfect pig? No, no, we don't. We need, uh, there are some things we need to learn about the pig. And, and specifically, um, you know, as a contract finisher, uh, you know, I'll have a batch that will have horrible tail biting. And is it genetics? Is it nutrition? Is it density? Is it air quality? Uh, everybody points their fingers in a different direction on, on really what causes that. Uh, but it's a horrible vice, uh, very expensive vice, because those pigs, uh, if they die, you know, they're 200 pounds plus when they die. Very expensive. You've got a lot of money in them. Um, so I, we don't have a good answer on some of those vices. Uh, ear necrosis, uh, tail biting, side biting. Um, we really don't know what causes that. We'll try to change this or try to change that to get on top of it. But but it's a horrible vice. And and trying to explain that um, to lay people, um, uh, I'm surrounded where my contract finisher is um, by fruit farmers. And they're smart guys. They grow apples. They grow cherries. They grow peaches. And a lot of them have a few cattle, but none of them have pigs. But So they understand agriculture pretty much. And, uh, you know, the finisher mortality, when I have an outbreak of tail biting, uh, they just... They just don't understand why are you losing so many pigs? And I said, well, we have this tail biting problem. And it's hard to explain even to other agricultural people why we have tail biting, um, why we have uh, five, six, seven percent mortality in finishers. It's it's hard to explain to to other agricultural people, let alone lay people, why we why we lose uh, 200 pigs out of 4000. Um, it just kind of, you know, and they ask me, well, why are you losing pigs? And I scratch my head and say, how can I explain this? Um, so some of the vices we need to learn more about. I think there's a fair amount of low-grade respiratory diseases um, that we kind of sweep under the rug. Uh, we may treat them. Um, if you see in your contract finisher after you've sold 80% of the pigs, if you see a lot of um, eye uh, discharge and stuff on the pigs that are left. Um, chances are you've got some upper respiratory things, some parasuas, some strepsuas, some mycoplasma hyorhinus. Um, and we as an industry really don't understand uh, what the implications are to that and really what the root cause. You know, when you do diagnostics, you'll find all three of those organisms and maybe others. Uh, how important is one versus the other? And uh, how do we treat those? Uh, do we treat every single pig or do we treat pigs that are just showing signs? Um, and one of the comments I made during the hog lecture was a lot of those pigs, if you cut their snouts, they have turbinate atrophy like the old atrophic rhinitis. And most people have gone away from doing slaughter checks and, and scoring snouts I honestly believe we need to get back to that. I think people would be surprised on how much turbinate atrophy are on some of those tail end pigs. And we test them, they're negative for pastorella type D. 
but what's causing that? There is turbinate atrophy. We don't see twisted snouts, but we do see growth uh, um, stunting and slow growth on those pigs. So I, I think the industry, we need to figure out, first of all, what that is, and second of all, what to do about it. Um, water quality, I mentioned uh, earlier about uh, working for Neogen and water quality. Um, the pig people are definitely behind the poultry people. Um, in my time at Neogen, we spend most of our time at poultry farms, uh, broilers, layers, turkeys, uh, putting water systems in. And the systems we're putting in are very similar to uh, municipal uh, water treatment. Uh, so it's chlorinated to get rid of the bacteria. Um, and I think the, some of these large sow units, large finisher units, they really need to get uh, a handle on their water quality. Um, about 20% of the nurseries we do water testing on, we find out there's E. coli in the water lines. And if you're struggling in the nursery with E. coli scours, uh, you know, if you're, if you're actually feeding the pigs E. coli in the water, uh, why wouldn't they have scours? So uh, the pig industry has a lot of uh, uh, space to make up as far as uh, good water quality. Um, so I, I'll leave it at that. And um, oh, I did. I did talk to Marcio one time. He he put a thing out about um, sow productivity and how do we do better with sow productivity and and uh, with with today's labor market. You know what what are we going to do when we can't find people to do uh, split suckling and cross fostering and and all this and and I uh, wrote back to him and I said we just need a better sow. Um, and I, uh, I, I've kind of thought this over the years that, you know, we buy these sows or replacement gilts from the various genetic companies. And I think the average parity is three and a half when they go out the door. To me, um, as much as you're paying for those replacement gilts, you should get more than three and a half liters out of them. And of course that, that's not in the breeding company's best interest because they wouldn't sell as many gilts, but why the industry puts up with a, uh, any kind of genetics that you only get three or three and a half parity out of just, just blows my mind. Um, why they're not demanding more. Um, uh, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, just some things we need to learn. It's industry to, to help us uh, uh, be better stewards uh, of the swine world. Mm -hmm. I think those are all good topics to think about and certainly ones to challenge ourselves with. And, um, you know, I can even think in the last few years with, with COVID and obviously now with feed ingredient prices, it's always interesting to hear the conversations um, from a nutrition's perspective. And the reality of it is, is some of the work that we're asking about now might have been done, of course, back in the 80s or 90s. And some of it may still be relevant, some of it may not based on the genetics and, and the type of pig we're dealing with today relative to back then. But again, that's part of that lifelong learning is going back and, and reviewing what's already been done and taking that information and going a step further. And, and so I think a lot of what you suggested, we have some really good foundation pieces there. We just need to keep, keep stepping it further and, and challenging ourselves. One thing I tell people is that um, on the market pigs, we've we've kind of created a, 
a really fast race car, um, an animal that eats a lot, grows fast, very efficient, uh, very fine-tuned machine, but I'm not convinced we really know how to manage that animal as, as well as we could. I think there's room for improvement. We, we have to just learn more about how to, to manage that animal. Yeah, I would agree there for sure. Well, as we wrap up our time, uh, James, would you mind just giving a, a couple of key points to our audience so that they have some takeaways from today's conversation? Uh, yeah, just uh, lifelong learning. Um, the best clients I worked with um, had me out and asked me what I thought and um, were trying to learn from me and I was trying to learn from them. As opposed to other clients, you, you kind of wonder why you're there because they they seem to know everything already and, and anything you say is not going to change. They're just like, yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever. Um, but the better clients are the ones who know they don't know everything and are uh, information sponges. They just want to learn how to do a better job. So uh, those are fun clients to work with. Um, it, it, you really have to massage the, the know-it-alls uh, to get anything done in those situations, but, um, but just keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good, a good key point for our audience to take away from today's discussion. It is time to our famous three. An animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. Well, as we wrap up our time, there are a couple of questions like that we like to ask all of our speakers. And I know it sounded like maybe I asked them earlier, but I'm going to ask them in a more formal way this time. Do you have a swine resource that you would recommend to our audience? Yeah, just on the production side, um, I like the pig site, thepigsite.com. Uh, it's very good, thorough, a uh, lot of information there. There's also a poultry site and a cattle site um, if you're uh, branching out. But but the pig site um, for production stuff, uh, still I, I go back to diseases of swine on the veterinary side um, on a regular basis. Um, so that, that's pretty hard to beat, diseases of swine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. How about something that's not pig related? Do you have any references or resources you'd recommend tonight? Yeah, so I, I just read a book uh, called The Code Breaker, and it's it's the story of Dr. Doudna as she developed the CRISPR technology to do gene editing. And it was fascinating, just the gene editing part, but all of the politics she had to go through uh, to get that patented and um, 
and now it's it's much more refined than just just the CRISPR technology. But it was a really fascinating book um, that I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a good book. Um, the last question I have really goes back to if you can think of somebody in your lifetime that you've defined as successful, what would be a key characteristic about them that you think has allowed them to be successful? Well, there's there's two people that that I'd like to bring up, and one, of course, is, is Alex Hogg. He was a a gem of a guy, just a nice guy. Was wanted to work and wanted to make everybody better, um, and that was his lifelong goal: is just to make everybody better. And uh, the second person is one of my uh, strongest mentors as I was uh, early in practice. And that was Max Rodebaugh. Um, as you may have heard, he passed away uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and and it's uh, it was very hard on me. It was very hard on his family. Uh, we hated to see that happen to Max, but just uh, just the nicest guy you ever want to see uh, in practice, out of practice. Uh, I don't think Max had a mean bone in his body and, and I just would emulate if I could be just as nice and as pleasant as Max was, then that would be success for me. Mm -hmm. Those are two great traits. I greatly appreciate you bringing up Dr. Rodebaugh as well. Um, Well, James, our time is really wrapped up for us tonight. I greatly appreciate your conversation with me. Um, Again, we want to thank you for your time tonight. Very good. Thanks for having me, Laura. I appreciate it. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.